Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. Disciple Makers. This is week two of our series, Disciple Makers, and I have been looking forward to this series all year so far, so I'm pretty excited. Last week, we talked about what it means to follow in the dust of the rabbi, right? To follow so closely to Jesus that when hard times come, not if, right, but when hard times come, we don't get knocked off the course of becoming a disciple maker. Now, I think a lot of us as Christians, we say things like knocked off course, but what we mean is that we just haven't been behaving well. Right? We haven't been keeping ourselves in line. We've stepped off the path. That means we've done something we're not proud of. We, we have been doing something we're not proud of or whatever that is. But I think as the church, we need to start redefining spiritual maturity. It's not just behaving well, being good little Sunday school kids. Right? It's why we actually don't just teach behavior back in kids ministry anymore you know they can learn how to not cheat lie and steal in school we want to teach them something they can't learn in school and that is to have a relationship with Jesus there's a difference right and to follow Jesus isn't just about behaving well now there is an obedience component to it but it's more than that becoming a disciple maker is about more than just obedience. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the rest of this series. Now, today is actually going to be a little bit more practical than maybe we're used to in a sermon. It's more of a teaching maybe than a sermon. And, and that's because I don't want to just arm you with inspiration and information, but actually empower you with the real steps forward. Okay, so we're going to look at how Jesus called some of his disciples And we're going to learn from that example together. And then we're going to talk about the actual steps forward, even here at Freedom Valley. So to do that, I need you to know some things going into this. We're actually going to Luke 5 today, where Jesus called his first disciples. But I want want you to know the stages of faith that we go through as Christians. This really helped define it for me and help people move through these stages. And so there are five of them. The first one is unbelievers. Pretty obvious what that is, right? People who do not yet believe in having a relationship with their creator God through the power of Jesus Christ, okay? Unbelievers. The next one is believers. You you first take a step from not believing to believing and we're going to see how Jesus moved the disciples through that in just a minute. This is people who just believe, okay? Just barely believe that Jesus died for my sins and that I'm going to live for him. Thirdly, disciples. These are people who have chosen not only to believe, but to give their life to Jesus, to actively follow in his footsteps. Some of the obedience pieces are starting to come into line, okay? And we're Seeing a little bit of life change, a lot of learning and growing and studying and adjusting your life to fit the model that Jesus laid out for us. Fourth is servant leaders. These are people who are testing their skills a little bit, using their gifts and talents to lead others, uh, serve others. This is people who are 
giving of their gifts and talents around the church, serving on serve teams around here, there. Um, in Jesus's context, they were following along behind Jesus and helping with the work of the ministry. Okay, fifth, reproducers. These are the disciple makers, right? People who have gone through all the other stages and have matured to the point that they can then reproduce their faith in other people, encourage people to start this process all over again. I'm going to need prayer for my voice again. Got me through the other services? We can do it. All right, Luke 5 is where we're going today, and we're going to see Jesus move people through those steps. Here he is in the beginning of his ministry. Right? He had already been tested out in the wilderness, been tempted. He had been dunked by John the Baptist. He was baptized publicly. And now he's hanging out around the Sea of Galilee, ministering to people, teaching, right, performing miracles. And he comes across these guys in a boat. So starting verse 1 of chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Can you picture this scene a little bit? A whole crowd on a beach following Jesus around, right? This guy with a crowd following him comes up to you and says, hey, I need your boat. You're likely to be like, I don't know what's going on here, but yeah, okay. I'll sit in the boat with you and listen a little while. And so he, he gets some distance between him and the people and he preaches. And we don't know how long Jesus was teaching necessarily. But when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let your nets down to catch some fish. This is a sort of Jesus almost repaying him for his time spent in the boat, right? And Simon, after just a few teachings, just an afternoon spent in a boat listening to powerful Holy Spirit authority teaching, he knows enough by this point to call Jesus master. Right? He went from unbeliever to believer very quickly after just some teaching. He says, Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night, thank you, uh, and didn't catch a thing. We worked hard all night long. Fishermen at this time worked all night long sometimes to, to catch something. Sometimes they caught it quickly. Sometimes they caught nothing. I think that was sort of the nature of fishing, right? You take a gamble, you win some, you lose some. We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Simon was already a believer. <laughs> Very quickly progressed to this point. And I want you to notice that he says, but if you say so here, because a, a lot of you know my family situation right now. My husband, <clears throat> what he's going through, he's uh, got chronic kidney disease, end-stage renal 
failure. He needs a transplant. And so many of you have been so supportive throughout this whole process and praying for us and just loving us through it. And uh, sometimes, though, <laughs> when I tell a Christian about our situation and, you know, end-stage renal failure and his kidneys are functioning at 7% right now and declining and, you know, the, those negative but real things, sometimes Christians will say, no, 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 don't say anymore. You can, don't even confess that because our words have power, right? And we're created in God's image and, and you can't even say those things out loud because you're speaking them into existence. They're already in existence. <laughs> this is the reality of my situation. And I get that we are creators with our words. Our words are powerful because we are created in the image of God. And I get speaking in faith and declaring things that not as though they are. I, I understand all of the faith speak behind it. And yet throughout the Gospels, right before a miracle happens, reality seems to be acknowledged too. Here, he says, we worked hard all night and didn't catch the, a thing. That's the reality of the situation. Those are the facts. That is what happened. But if you say so, because I, I know that you are the reality changer, right? If you say so, we'll go back out. We'll put the nets down again. We're tired and we're hungry, and you kept us out longer than we would have been already. And I probably just want to go home and lay down in my bed, but if you say so, we'll go back out. I want to have that kind of faith. Not that I, I can't confess the truth and the reality of the situation. I just know the guy who can change that reality. I happen to know the creator of heaven and earth who happens to have authority over my sickness and disease, over the fish in the sea, for goodness sake. Of course he can fix me. That's the guy that I know. He hasn't said it yet, but if he says so, if he says, jump, I'm saying how high, right? Because if he says so, that's how believers speak. Simon is already moved into believer stage of faith. He says, master, we worked hard all last night. We didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Because when Jesus provides, he provides with abundance, right? When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. Fell to his knees before Jesus, and he said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. See, some of us understand this response all too well. A lot of us, we come before God with this wincing, like, is he going to smite me for just walking through the church doors? Like, you don't know what I've done attitude. Here, upon realizing that he is in the presence of God, the guy who can provide fish where there is no fish, the guy who speaks with authority, he doesn't want to be anywhere near that moment. I'm a sinful man. But the thing is, and I didn't say this on the other services, but maybe this is for somebody here today. God can work with that person. The honest, broken person. The person that's willing to say, I'm a sinful person. 
I don't know if you can use me, God. That's exactly the point that God can use you. Over and over and over throughout the Gospels, Jesus couldn't use the Pharisees who did not think that they were sinful. <laughs> they were righteous in their own right because they had followed the law to the best of their ability. And how dare you tell me that I'm not righteous, right? They had these attitudes about them. God can't use that. He can use the sinful guy, guy who knows he is sinful, and that's actually, this is the point that Jesus calls them. He says, for he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed, and they were also called into ministry after this point. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. In response to being told that he's a sinful person, Jesus says, don't be afraid. He doesn't agree with him. I say, yeah, you are sinful and you do not deserve my presence. He says, don't be afraid. It reminds me of the story I've told many times here, and I apologize if you've heard it already, but there was a Tuesday morning, we have staff chapel around here, and it used to be in this room, and I remember I was standing right down here, and I, I came in that morning to worship just not in the mood. And I remember seeing all these pastors around me praising and worshiping God, and I, in my head, I'm like, God, I don't deserve to be here. This is not, <laughs> I know what I should do, and I don't do it, and I know what I shouldn't do, and I do it anyway, and I just, I'm, I don't deserve this. I'm not like these other righteous people. God, what, what am I doing here? And I was just ranting at God about my inadequacy, and God spoke to me in that moment, like, louder than he ever has before, and it was just four words. He said, but I love you. So it gives me goosebumps to talk about, but I love you, right? He's calling you because he loves you, not because you deserve it. And he can work with you when you're in that broken place. See, there's a difference between feeling guilt and feeling conviction. Conviction is the God version of guilt. Guilt just makes you want to run away. In, in Simon's case, he said, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. It makes you want to get away from Jesus because the holiness, when you're presented with it, is so good, so pure, it makes you look extremely dirty, right? We'll never measure up. That's why the law was given, to remind us that we need God, not to make us perfect, it reminds us of our need for a Savior. And so when we're presented with the Savior, the Holy One, we look dirty. And guilt makes you run away. A friend was asking me lately, you know, I, I, there's these thoughts that are constantly in my head. I'm beating myself up all the time. Everything I do, I feel like I'm just guilty. How do I know if that's God's voice or my voice? And I said, well, is it, is it making you feel like you want to run away? Because that's not God's voice. Conviction from the Holy Spirit pulls you closer to him while at the same time in the genius of God letting you know how much you need to change. You want to change because now you know God's love for you despite your flaws, how good he is and how good his way is and suddenly you're drawn to that. So are those thoughts that are happening in your head, conviction, pulling you to God and probably from 
God and thoughts you should listen to, or are they thoughts that make you want to run away and thoughts you need to rebuke? Because you stand on the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't have to listen to the, the thoughts that beat you up and make you want to run away. They've been beaten already. Jesus conquered them already. You don't have to listen. Jesus says, don't be afraid. I know you're a sinful man, but don't be afraid. I know you're not doing what you should do, but I love you. I called you because of my love for you, not because of your deserving of it. Don't be afraid. And in fact, Jesus goes on to Simon. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Not only does he say, don't be afraid, I love you, but now you're going to come help me. I'm calling you to something higher than this. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. See, there's a few things that we can learn here about the process of moving through these stages of faith. There's something, some things that every single one of us have to go through in order to move from stage to stage. And the first one is we have to find Jesus. Find him. Now, in our culture and time, it's a, it's a little bit harder to introduce people to Jesus because we already have this preconceived notion of who he is in our culture. We have the, the picture of the Catholic church or the, I don't know, the, the judgmental churches or something. And we think that's what religion is all about. And that's therefore what Jesus is all about. And I don't want that. I don't need that in my life. Right? Well, this culture also had an idea of who Jesus was or who the Messiah was going to be. Jesus had to kind of constantly come in and disrupt that thought process, prove himself to be something else entirely. And you could see that Jesus moved these early disciples through these stages pretty quickly from unbeliever to believer after just a few teachings from a boat and a small miracle. Right now, don't get me wrong, all miracles are miracles. <laughs> but in terms of like ranking Jesus' miracle, there's like Lazarus raising from the dead and some fish in the water. Small miracle, right? And yet it brought Peter, Simon Peter, to Jesus. It, it turned him from an unbeliever to a believer pretty quickly. And I think that's because of some strategic things that Jesus did here. He allowed them to observe before asking them to leave everything. I mean, did you notice how Jesus came in to their boat and said, hey, come with me. I need to teach these people. Can I use your boat for a little bit? And Simon Peter was probably sitting on that boat just awestruck, listening. He allowed them to observe for a while. See, most of us don't let people observe our lives at all. In fact, as I was preparing this, I thought, in my childhood, I feel like culture used to be more like you go over to people's houses for dinner a lot, right? Like maybe it was just like I would grow up a pastor's kid, but like we were invited over to people's houses for dinner. We had people over to our house for dinner. Did anybody else grow up like that? Do you do that anymore? We don't really. I don't know if it's like social media and we feel like we're more connected even though we're not really, or if it's like, you know, my Netflix Netflix queue is just too darn tempting. Like, I'd rather do that. Or maybe it's, uh, you know, I blame Chip and Joanna because my house will never measure up to that, right? I don't know if I can let anybody in. I, not them. 
I don't know what it is, but we don't share our lives with people quite like we used to. When the early church did, they were in each other's homes every single day. You read in Acts 2 that they went to the temple, they prayed together, they came home and they ate together, they did life together. That's what church is meant to be. But honestly, I feel like if I didn't have home groups in my life, like a systemized reason to have people in my house, I don't know if I would very often. I don't share my life with people. And then even when we have become Christians, right, we, we get a little bit of change going on in our life, but then we're afraid to tell people. Like, I don't want to force it on anybody. When they ask about my weekend at work, I'm, eh, I went to church, I did some errands, and, <laughs> and we downplay the church thing. God may have done something amazing in your life that week, but you're too afraid to tell anybody about it. Because you don't want to feel like, do you know, I read a George Barna study lately that said like, it was a big percentage. It was like 85% of millennials feel like evangelism is wrong in our culture because we're forcing our beliefs on other people. That's not how Jesus did evangelism. He allowed people to come in and observe a little bit before asking them to give up everything. We have it backwards sometimes. We demand they give up everything without seeing the actual goodness that Christianity can bring. We, we want to guilt them into it, forgetting that guilt pushes people away from God, not pulls them toward it. And it's not our job, by the way, to convict people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Show them the goodness of what Christianity can be, what it is to live your life for him. Then maybe ask them to give up everything. That's what Jesus did here. He also, he met a need before asking them to give up everything. They needed fish. He happens to be the one that created fish, right? He can provide fish where there is no fish. So he met a need in their life. We, again, I think with sharing our lives, we don't know people as well as we used to. We don't know when they're hurting. Even the people close to us, we can't tell anymore. We just don't know people that well. We, we should be out there feeding the hungry, taking a meal to somebody who's sick or, or struggling right? Meeting needs in people's lives. And this requires us knowing something about their life. Ask a question. Hey, how you doing? And actually listen. Don't just wait for good. How are you? <laughs> no, no, really. How you been? What you up to? What's going on? Right? What are you struggling with? What are you excited about? Actually getting to know people. Most of us are too busy. Like the, the Good Samaritan story. Right? Good people, religious leaders, pastors passed right by the guy dying on the side of the road because they were just too busy with their spiritual lives. Places to go, people to see. It was the guy who didn't deserve God, the guy who most other religious people looked down on that actually stopped, picked the guy up, went and fed him and clothed him and put him up in a hotel until he was ready to get back on his own feet. Jesus said, which one is more like me? The guy who's hurrying off to a religious event or the guy who actually stopped and cared about people, loved people, met a need first? He also came into their life first before asking them to leave it. He entered into their world a little bit, got into their boat 
a little bit. See, all throughout the Gospels, we can see Jesus having this access to people that nobody else seemed to have. He could speak to people that never would have darkened the door of a temple or a tabernacle or gone to see one of the Pharisees or religious leaders. Jesus had access. And if you did the Disciple Makers Challenge this week, you read the Zacchaeus story, right, where Jesus was traveling along. Zacchaeus was up in a tree, a tax collector, somebody that the Pharisees actually called scum. He stole from people. He betrayed his own people. Jesus called him down in front of a crowd and said, hey, I'm going to your house for dinner tonight. And I don't know the kind of parties tax collectors generally threw, but it was the kind of place a Pharisee wouldn't have been caught dead in. Okay? It's not that Jesus went there for the party. Right? He didn't go there to get crunk with his friends. That's maybe what the Pharisees were judging him for, but he was in that environment for the people, not the party. (laughs) He went to love them where they were. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Sometimes in order to do that, you have to do a little seeking. They don't always come to you. Go to them. Love them right where they are. Jesus didn't find these disciples in a temple. In fact, did he find any of his disciples in a temple? I don't think so. He found them out where they were, living their everyday lives, loving them right where they were. Right? His care for people went bigger, went deeper than his reputation. Right? The Pharisees cared about their reputation, what other people thought of them, way more than caring for the people themselves. And we see this in Christianity a lot. I care about my reputation so much. I don't want to even look like I'm being in that environment. So I'm going to just stay away. When really we should be developing our spiritual muscles so strongly that we can enter into that environment, not do the sinning part, but love the people. Jesus loved the people. Anything short of sin. There's a church down south called Life Church that their motto is to do anything short of sin to reach more people. And Paul talked about being all things to all people, being willing to give up some of the freedoms that comes with Christianity to live like the Jews when he's with the Jews and live like the Gentiles when he's with the Gentiles so that he might win some. It's not that you go around sinning to earn street cred, right? Just that you love them right where they are. Jesus also challenged them to be part of something bigger than themselves. We often downplay Christianity when we're recruiting to it. Like it's just so easy, right? Life is good. <laughs> the issue with that is life isn't always better when you're a Christian. God doesn't magically fix all of your problems like a little fairy godmother following you around. He's with you through them. He wants to help you through them, and sometimes he does enter in and provide a miracle in your life and heal you or provide for you or something crazy, but sometimes he allows you to walk through some things for the lesson on the other side, the breakthrough on the other side. We talked about that a little last week, but Jesus challenged them to something bigger than themselves. And I think it's interesting that he didn't challenge them to leave everything behind. He asked them to leave their career behind, but maybe bring the skills that they've learned along the way. Talking to fishermen, he said, we're going to go be fishermen 
but for people. So bring the skills that you've learned in fishing, and we're going to use them to fish for people. Do you notice that Jesus, when he's talking to fishermen, he uses fishing. When he's talking to farmers, he uses a lot of farming parables and metaphors. When he's talking to religious people, he talks about being a kingdom of priests, right? He tends to to get to know people to the level that he can speak their language a little. You know, Jesus was raised a carpenter. You won't find a parable Jesus told about carpentry, though. He didn't ask people to get on his level. He went to them, spoke their language a little bit, got to know them enough to speak their language a little bit. Do you know what? I learned a little about fishing this week. How many of you are fishermen? Some of you fish in here? Yeah, some. Awesome. You probably already know this then. But different kinds of fish take different kinds of lure, right? You attract different things, and you have to sort of learn about the body of water that you're going into so you can bring along the right tools, right? These guys knew this already. Uh, I did not know. Saltwater fish love shrimp. Did you know that? Dead or alive. They don't care. They're attracted to shrimp. Trout will bite kernel corn and cheese. Didn't know that. Catfish will actually eat pieces of ivory soap. Isn't that weird? (laughs) So depending on what you're going after, you're going to bring a different kind of lure, right? And I believe that Jesus was saying, we're going to go fish for people because he wanted those skills to come along with them to serve the ministry. He, He knew that different kinds of people will also take different kinds of lure, right? That's why he went into places that the Pharisees thought he had no business being. Because to reach those people, he had to do something different. He had to get into their life a little bit. I also learned that fishing takes a lot of patience, right? Takes a lot of patience. I, um, I think really my only interaction with like any kind of fishing was when I was like 12. We went over to a friend of the family's house. They had a creek behind their cabin or something, and I remember him having it all ready for us kids to go fishing. And I'm the oldest, so I was probably like 12. My siblings were 10, 8, and 6 maybe. And we were fishing, and I was the only one to catch anything. I'm proud of that still to this day. Although, the more I learned about fishing this week, the less proud of that I was because I was probably the only one old enough to be capable of that kind of patience. So it's probably just my age. But I also learned that fishing, fish take work to become useful. Like, you're not done right after you've caught them, right? Then you have to take the fish off of the hook, and you have to chop their head off and, like, do some crazy, disgusting things that uh, everybody else ate the darn fish that I caught. I couldn't (laughs) because I saw what happened to it after, before it went on the grill, and I was not okay with that. And honestly, I think I I, only as an adult have I come to like fish because I think I was scarred by that experience, but fishing takes patience, and it takes work to prepare. This metaphor even works down to, like, the afterward, like, after you've caught the fish, some fish have teeth, right? Some fish have prickly scales. They'll bite back. It even works down to that level, because some disciples have teeth, let me tell you what and they will bite back. So 
Jesus asked them to bring along their skills that they used as fishermen. He came into their life. He allowed them to observe before making a big life-altering decision, and he met their needs. That's how we help people find Jesus. Don't bash them over the head with the Bible. We don't guilt them into it. We follow Jesus' example, helping people find Jesus. But the awesome thing is, is Jesus didn't allow them to stay there, right? He, he didn't just turn them from unbelievers to believers and then said, okay, we're good. See you later. He actually challenged them to move forward with their faith, to keep going. He turned those believers very quickly into disciples by saying, come along with me. I'm going to make you a fisher of people. He didn't allow them to stay where they were. Jesus will love you right where you are. He'll come into your world, but he's not going to let you stay there because he loves you too much. He wants better for you. He called them and he helped them move forward. You know, after this point, the disciples followed him for three years. Throughout the rest of his ministry, they often didn't know where they were going to lay their head at night. He didn't have a home or like a base of ministry. He, they often didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. And they sat and listened to his every teaching. They saw him withdraw in prayer and fasting constantly. They saw him speak with authority. Like he knew the truth, not just knew about it. Like he experienced and knew God the Father, not just knew about him. Right? They, they were challenged up to obedience over and over and over. The, Jesus rebukes his disciples to Peter once. He said, get behind me, Satan. Right? And oh, ye of little faith. Jason's actually going to talk next week and teach us how to have those difficult conversations like Jesus did. Because it's part of discipleship. The disciples followed him through all of this. They saw him do countercultural things in the name of love, like the Zacchaeus story that you read this week. Right? They, they saw him defy the Pharisees over and over and over to love people. They saw him walk in obedience even when it was hard, when he was receiving threats on his life, when he was being lied about. And they were trying to trap him into saying something he shouldn't, right? That they saw him in all of those scenarios. You know, the only way we can become more like Jesus is to study him. The disciples studied his life. I mean, they had hands-on training experience, but we do too. We have the word of God. So many of us, as we want to play Christian, but we don't actually open our Bibles. And I'm a firm believer that you can't know what God would say, if you don't know what he has said. And the only net way to know what he has said is to open your Bible and study it. Ask questions of it. Dive in with both. You know, I know people who are just plain new to this, right? They, they aren't afraid to admit it. They dive in with both feet anyway. They'll text me questions daily or, or weekly at first about what does this mean? And what do you think Jesus meant here? And how do I read this book? And where should I start? They're my favorite questions in the world, by the way. I love having those conversations. Text me all the questions you got. If I don't know it, I will help you find it. And I get it. Look, it, it's a complicated book, right? It's actually 66 books written by over 40 authors over thousands of years. There are some books of prophecy and some 
books of the prophets, there's books of law, there's books of uh, the gospels, all four that basically the same thing, but with differences. What's up with that, right? It's, it's a complicated book. But that, do you see why we need people? We can't just present Jesus to people and leave them there. They need help along in the process. This is why we need more disciple makers. This is why Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. People want to know it's the workers who are few. Need people who will come alongside brand new believers and help them with the process. The truth isn't always just lying around on the surface for anyone to find. Sometimes we got to work at it to find it. Dig at it a little bit. Need some help with that. Discipleship is always best done in the context of relationship. God placed us in relationship from the dawn of time, right? He gave us a partner in life. Jesus invented the church, by the way. Set it all up. Said, go be in community and learn together. God wants to know us in the context of relationship because he's the God of individuals and the God of nations. He spoke to nations, directed their path. He can speak to us as a church, as as hundreds of people, and it can pertain to each of us individually because that's who he is. He's amazing like that. If you came to church alone, it's okay because we have home groups for that, right? If you came to church ignorant, it's okay because we have growth groups for that. If you came to church broken, it's okay because we have disciple makers for that. People who want to come along behind you and help you figure this thing out. Move from being just a believer to a disciple. Move from being a disciple to a servant leader and from a servant leader to a reproducer. In fact, it leads me to number three. is that servant leaders... And reproducers know that you have to do something for God. If you've been truly freed, if you've truly found joy and peace in the middle of a storm, you naturally want to give that to other people. You don't get to hoard it all to yourself. You want to share it with others. And let me tell you what, it's addicting. Seeing people get free the first time or the second time. Third time, seeing them come to know Jesus and feel the love of their creator, it's addicting. You see that once and you want to keep seeing it. You want to see people free. It's also scary sometimes. Sometimes we, in disciple making, we make mistakes. We do things wrong. We're not Jesus. We're not the Savior, right? We have to rely on him and the Holy Spirit and his example. Sometimes we give up because we've done it badly once or twice and and we've offended people and we've hurt people and we don't want to do that again. So better left to the professionals, right? Let Let the pastor do that. I'm no good. The problem is that it, you can't stop trying. In fact, Jesus had actually sent out his disciples, little practice missions, two by two, and sometimes they failed, There was one time they went to cast out a demon, and the demon wasn't listening to them. And they came back to Jesus like, why couldn't we cast out the demon? And Jesus had to set him down and say, look, that kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And he taught them. It was like hands-on ministry training, right? You mess up, 
you get the answer, you try again. Go back out and try again. You know, at Freedom Valley, I realized that I've built, we have, over the past few years, built this pathway for people to see them move from unbelievers to reproducers, to help them find Jesus, move forward, and do something. And yet, I don't think I've ever presented the entire plan (laughs) to you guys. And so last week, as I was preparing this, I said, you know what? We're going to go over the pathway, because if I'm asking you all to help me with it, you got to know it, right? And so at Freedom Valley, we have specific ways of helping people find Jesus, move forward, and do something. And, And the first step of that is finding Jesus. You know, we are actually pretty good at this as a church. If there's one strength we have, it's this one, because we see people come to know Jesus all the time. Every weekend, we see people baptized seven last weekend and 105 last year total. We are seeing them come to know Jesus. The first part of that is just telling someone, I'm in. I'm ready. I want to follow Jesus. Maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. Maybe you've seen that uh, screen that goes up at the end of services that says, text I'm in to the number on the screen. Right? We have people do that every week. And from there, we get to say, hey, have you done this before? Is this a first-time thing? Do you have a Bible? Have you been baptized? Here's a plan to get you started, a, a Bible plan on the app. Right? We, we help move them through the process, understanding what it means. We don't just pray a prayer of salvation with them and let them go figure it out on your own. Get them started. Right? That's what I'm in is all about, and we actually have a table in the back now. We're launching this week where you can go if you are in, if you are ready to make a decision for Jesus. It's not just a passive text anymore, but you can talk to an actual person before you leave the church. Be given a real paper, Bible. Talk to about where you're at. Pray the prayer of salvation with somebody. Jason's actually recruiting for that this weekend. So if you want to help make disciples, go see him and help us man that table. Second, meet and greet. Meet and greet is... Based on the concept that to be really connected to a place, you have to, it's human nature to want to be known a little bit, right? You want to be able to express yourself a little, have somebody know your name and what you do for a living, and if you have kids and why you came to Freedom Valley today, right? That's what we do at Meet and Greet. If you're new here, still feel new here, once a month we say, hey, we want to know you and get some eyeball-to-eyeball time just getting to know people, helping introduce them and connecting them to the church. And then baptism. This is public declaration of faith, saying to the church, I'm in. I'm in so much that I'm willing to declare it in front of everybody, and I'm a new creation in Christ. It's following Jesus' example of being baptized. I'm in. Meet and greet. Baptism. That's the pathway to finding Jesus. So if you know somebody who has come to Jesus lately, who has just started out around here, now you can say, hey, have you ever done the I'm in thing? Have you ever gone to meet and greet? Have you been baptized yet? Because I know how to fix that. It's actually on your app now under FE Pathway. You click it, and there's all clickable links. You can go right through it, okay? Number two, then, remember, Jesus doesn't just leave us where he found us. He helps us move forward. And so we have start class Sort of the beginning of this, we teach what we believe as a church and why we believe it biblically and who we are as a church, a little of our history, and how to get involved, right? It's 
church 101, essentially. That it's growth groups, which are Bible studies and classes to help you get to know the Bible more or to help you manage your finances better from a biblical point of view or with parenting or men's and women's groups, Bible studies that help you get to know the Bible better. That's growth groups. Home groups are relational. It's getting to know each other, but it's also application-based. So we get to sit around in homes, eat food, that's important, and talk about what the sermon said on the weekend and how we can actually apply it in our lives. That's home groups. Then there's partnership. And partnership is taking all of this to the next level. It's saying, I'm willing to be obedient to scripture. I'm in to that level. And not only am I a disciple willing to be obedient, but I want to be a servant leader too. And I want to partner with you in ministry, go a little further in this and, and be a worker in God's harvest field. Okay. Let's move forward. After you've learned a little bit, you've connected a little bit, you've moved forward in your faith, you should want to do something with it like the disciples. And so mission trips are a great way to do that. This is spreading the gospel throughout the world, practicing your faith a little bit. I have never been on a mission trip, and I've been on a fair few that did not stretch me emotionally, physically, spiritually. Okay, they are naturally stretching experiences, and I think they grew me a lot. Not only did we do good in the community that we were in, share Jesus with them, but I grew a lot from it. That's what disciple-making is in general, but missions especially. And serve teams are, again, flexing that servant leadership muscle a little. It's uh, serving our church, using your gifts and talents to do so. It's um, working on the computers in the back if you're a computer geek like them. It's holding babies, teaching kids biblical truths. It's um, serving coffee in the cafe or ministering to somebody who's in the hospital. Right? All the serve teams are giving back into the church, practicing your skills a little bit on other people and loving people genuinely and authentically. And so not on the list is being a bringer. Um, to view yourself as a pastor and really pray for people genuinely, to love people genuinely, to learn about a need and fill a need, right? To be a disciple maker. And it's not on the list because it's really hard to systematize. I can make pretty systems for a lot of things, but being a disciple maker isn't one of those things. And it's because it, it's so unique to people. Every single person is so unique. And so every single relationship is so unique. You can't systematize it. It doesn't fit in a pretty little box. That's because Jesus has designed you uniquely to use your gifts and talents to go and reach the world. I might be able to reach somebody that you won't be able to reach, and you might be able to reach somebody that I would never reach. We're meant to go out and use our unique gifts and talents to serve our world. I can't systematize that. That means some of this is on you, right? Now, I'm not saying it's all on you. Don't be afraid. It, I'm just really saying it's not all on me. 
as your pastor, I'm here to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's my biblical mandate. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, not do all the work around the church myself, but to equip you and show you how to do it. I can give you all the tools you need as a church. I can give you the systems to help people move through, but I can't force you to do it. That's on you. Not all on you, because actually our last week of the series, we're going to talk about the helper. Before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he said, guys, I need you to wait here because there's a helper coming. The Holy Spirit was going to come, and they didn't know it at the time, but fall on that church and explode with power and authority. Those disciples went out making more disciples. They preached to crowds of thousands and came to see all of them come to know Jesus. They performed miracles. They set up churches. They went out in power and authority because they had the Holy Spirit as their helper. The Holy Spirit is there to give you power and authority, wisdom beyond your years, peace that passes all understanding. I'm, you need the Holy Spirit to make disciples. I'm convinced it's nearly impossible without him. And so today we're going to pray. I'm going to ask that. God would raise up more disciple makers in our church, more workers in the harvest field, that we would be able to utilize the systems given to us by God and see people come to know him, move forward in their faith, and do something with it. All right, so let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. Thank you that you don't leave us where we're found. You challenge us to go further. You love us enough to bring us out of the messes we've created and into your freedom, love, and joy, and hope for the future. You have a plan to use our unique gifts and talents that you knew us before we were even born gifted us uniquely to make our little corner of the world better than the way we found it. Father, raise up disciple makers in this church. We would see revival happening in our own hearts, and it would overflow out of us from there into our community. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Hey everybody, welcome to Home Groups, where we apply the message we heard this weekend at FV Church. This was week two of our Disciple Makers series, and we looked at how Jesus called out some of his early disciples, and he saw where they were, and then he called them to a new place. And that's what we're talking about in this series, is the process of discipleship. 
Yeah, he allowed his disciples to kind of see him in action first. And as we know, Jesus, he always speaks with authority and mm-hmm. wisdom. And he's speaking to these crowds as his future disciples were sitting there in the boat with him. And then he met a need for them, yeah. took them out into the water, let them put down their nets where they had previously caught nothing. Now they're catching something. And then he calls them. So he sort of built this relationship with them, helped them figure out who he was, and then ask them to move forward. Yeah, building relationship is important. We often talk about relational evangelism, Mm -hmm. that you don't just go out, stand on a soapbox, and shout at people. You instead, yeah, it's it's a tough one. Instead, make a relationship with someone, sow into their life, become friends, acquaintances, then say, have you heard of Jesus? Well, let's talk about now relational discipleship. Mm -hmm. I don't want someone I don't know looking at my life and showing me where I should be improving. I don't know you. Why are you looking at me like this? But if someone has earned the right to speak into my life, it means so much more. Mm -hmm. So have a meal with someone. Uh, Fill their boat with fish, so to speak, and then help them find out where they can grow. And we identified three areas that you need to be growing in your relationship. It starts with finding Jesus, then we move forward from where we were, and then we start doing something for him. So in your life, have you found Jesus? Are you moving forward? And are you doing something? And a lot of us jump around on our typical ideal pathway that I showed you this weekend. And some of you may have jumped into a home group without taking star class Mm -hmm. or uh, moved into a servant position at church without taking start class or done this out of order and that's okay a lot of us do bounce around on the pathway but it's important to sort of go back and fill in some of those gaps to really get a a good foundation built and understanding so that you can be a great reproducer and disciple maker in the future if you have missed some of those steps along the way you might cause other people to miss some of those steps along the way as you're making disciples and i want to be really clear you're never done with any of these three steps like, I've known Jesus my whole life, and I am still finding out new things about him. Yeah. And that's discipleship. Mm-hmm. So not only do I need to continually find Jesus, continually move forward, and continually do something, I need to be encouraging others to continually be finding him, moving forward, and doing something. So today, we might want to identify some of the places we've gotten hung up on that path. Yeah. Maybe some areas we haven't focused on in a while that need our attention so that we can have that relational discipleship we can identify our own weaknesses and call people into new places in their faith. Yeah, should be a great discussion, guys. We'll see you next week.